stories told several years ago of uh, somebody that approached one of the college, I think it was the, I think it was the coach of uh, Oklahoma. A reporter approached him and said, um, sir, can you please tell me what contribution football makes to physical fitness? And without thinking, he said, it makes no contribution at all. And the reporter was kind of taken back. What did he learn in reporter school when they say something like that? Could you elaborate? So the coach said, you know what football is? Football is 22 people on the field who desperately need rest, being watched by 60,000 people who desperately need exercise. <laughs> and sometimes, if we're not careful, the church is kind of like that, isn't it? It's easy sometimes for people to be involved and kind of see church almost as kind of a spectator sport. But that was never the way God has intended it, was it? God wants everybody down the field. As a matter of fact, if, if I asked you, and not to be a, I won't, but if I asked you, so who's the minister around here? The tendency will be, will be to say, oh, it's uh, Pastor Tim, the elders, et cetera, et cetera. When in reality, when you read Ephesians 4, who are the, if I say, who are the ministers here, what should be the answer? Everybody, right? You're all, now, there's certain individuals that are called to equipping ministers. Fair enough. But at the end of the day, we're all ministers of Jesus Christ. So one of the questions that comes to mind for me, if that's the case, is what should we expect if we're actively involved in ministry? I mean, there are people who have gotten involved in ministry. Maybe they've taken over the youth program or been involved in children's ministry or deacon or whatever the case may be. And sometimes, frankly, after a period of time, you can become a little bit disenchanted with that whole ministry, can't you? For a variety of reasons, and it's often because of people. So what expectations should you have for ministry? To getting involved in the lives of people, whether it's here directly in the church, evangelizing people out in your community, whatever it is, there's always a risk, isn't there? And to find the answer to that, I want to go back and I want to look at the expectations of John the Baptist. And see how in this passage, God gives perspective to John that will ultimately give perspective to us when it comes to ministry. Chapter 11, one of the things I love about Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the most flexible teacher probably in history. Because he does some of his greatest teaching when he gets interrupted. I mean, he's gone along with crowds and all of a sudden some guys say, hey, hey, tell my brother to, to give me some money for, from, from the inheritance. And boop, Jesus kind of switches gears and goes and talks about that for a little while, doesn't he? Before he comes back. It's kind of what's happening here in Matthew chapter 11. Notice what the text says. Came about that when Jesus finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their city. So he's involved with the multitude. Verse 2, though, he's going to get an interruption from John the Baptist. Now, when John in prison heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Doesn't that seem strange to you? I mean, John the Baptist, man, like, he's the main guy. 
He's the heavy hitter, isn't he? He's the guy that says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And here in Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist sends messengers, some of his disciples, to Jesus because he's in prison. He says, are, are, are you the Messiah? And scholars have wrestled with that one. Like, why is he questioning Jesus? Let me tell you why I think this is happening. Back in Matthew chapter 3, when John the Baptist said, there is one who is coming after me, the Messiah, and I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals, right? Remember that whole passage? What he says is this, when that Messiah comes, he will baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. And in John's mind, when the Messiah would come, not only does that mean that the Spirit would come, but there would be the fire of God's judgment coming down upon the world. So John thought that both God's work of redemption and giving of the Spirit and empowering the heart and judgment are all going to come at the same time. Is that what happened when Christ came? Or do we find that there's a separation between those two? Christ comes and the Spirit will come at Pentecost very shortly after this. That's all true. But the baptism with fire, the judgment, that's still in the future. Do you see? So John had taken two things and put them like this. Jesus comes. John is, is teaching the truth. He talks about the fact that what the king is doing, what, 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 what Agrippa is doing, is it's dead wrong in his marital relationship. And they throw him in prison, and it's not long till he's going to have his head cut off. And he's sitting in prison, and he's thinking, well, I know the Spirit's coming, but, like, where's the fire? Because if, if there's judgment, like, why am I sitting in prison, for goodness sakes? Do you see? I mean, that's what he's struggling with. And so he has doubts about Christ. Because Christ isn't doing it exactly the way he thought Jesus was supposed to do it. Have you ever wondered that in your life? Ever wondered why Christ's agenda and yours aren't the same? I mean, we, that happens, folks, all the time in our lives, doesn't it? And so he has his questions. So he says, are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to them, to his disciples, John's disciples, go and report to John what you hear and what you see. I want you to look around. And when you look around, what do you see? The blind receive sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Disciples of John, I want you to go back and tell John, do you remember what Isaiah 35 says? And Isaiah chapter 60, 61 verse 1 says, do you remember all those prophecies? Yeah, I'm still almost hitting this in its way out there. Do you, do you remember what all those prophecies said? I am doing those. People are getting a foretaste of the glory of the kingdom as I heal people. And as blind can see again. And all people, the poor and everybody else, they can hear the good news that there's hope for every soul that realizes they're a sinner and turns to Jesus Christ. No, John... Everything that's supposed to be happening is happening. Not everything you may want, 
but everything that I had said would happen. And that, were, that was prophesied from the Old Testament. So go back and tell John those prophecies are being fulfilled. The gospel is going out. In verse 6, And blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. John, when your agenda and my agenda are not the same thing, stay with my agenda. Always stay with that. In verse 7, Jesus is going to turn now, and he's going to talk to the crowds. And he's going to challenge them with their expectations of the kingdom. See, everybody's got expectations, and they're not, nobody's expectations are quite where Jesus' are. Do you see? He's going to turn to the crowd. Years ago, I don't know if my kids remember this. They were much younger. Remember, we were sitting around the table, and I read this passage to them. And I read up to the fact, you know, where you know, Jesus says... You know, John, I am the Messiah, basically. And, and then the disciples leave, and he turns to the crowd. And I said, I said, what do you think he said to the crowd? And they thought for a minute. One of them said, I bet he said something like, bummer. Like, here's this heavy hitter, and he's doubting me. Like, what's that all about? Like, who's left? And I said, yeah, that would kind of make sense to me, right? But my text doesn't say bummer, does yours? Here's the beauty of Jesus Christ. After one of his own has doubted and struggled with the very identity of Jesus, Jesus is going to turn and address the crowd about their expectations. And in the process, he is not going to devalue John. He's going to elevate John. Isn't that marvelous? When you see the incredible grace of our blessed Lord. So, in verses 7 to 15, he's going to explain John's role in the kingdom, just so people are clear, because John has questions, and they have questions, so he's going to tell them. Verse 7, And as these were going away, Jesus began to speak to the multitudes about John. What did you go out into, into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? Did you go out there and you just saw this, you know, you've seen these reeds, when the wind comes along, what happens to the reed? We, I mean, it's just everywhere. The wind comes and it's just blowing all over the place. Jesus says, is that what John was like? Did John the Baptist come on the scene and, and he would just kind of tell you whatever you wanted him to say? Oh, you want to hear something nice? He'll tell you nice. You want to hear that? He'll t- you want to hear something against Rome? He'll tell you that. Was that John? Oh, no. John the Baptist came and he spoke exactly what God said. No, he was not like a reed shaken by the wind. What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in the king's palaces. Are you looking for a politician? Was John the Baptist a politician? No way, man. He would look at Agrippa and he would say, you know what, pal? You're living in sin. I mean, mean, he goes right to the top and points a finger, man. He is not, he's no politician. He is a straight shooter through and through. Jesus said, when you think of John, John says it just like it is. He doesn't, he's not some moral weakling. But let me tell you even more than that who John is. Why did you go out, verse 9, to see a prophet? Yes, I say to you, and one who was more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, and now he's going to quote from Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. 
This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now, question for you today. If I would have, Tim, Tim, Tim announced me and said, Doug's coming. And I stood up behind this pulpit. And I looked out at you and I said, among those born of women, there has not arisen a greater than Tim Huff. Because Tim Huff introduced me today to you. <laughs> yeah, you better think like that. You think, why does Finkbeiner speak here at the chapel? <laughs> right? Wouldn't you think that? I mean, you should. I mean, wouldn't that be like the cockiest statement in the world? Tim's greatness is bound up in his ability to introduce me to you. But that's exactly what Jesus Christ says about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the straight shooter, his greatness was bound up in the fact that he pointed to Jesus Christ more clearly than anybody that had come before him. And Jesus looks at the crowd and says, John the Baptist has this incredibly unique privilege of pointing to me more clearly than anybody that's come before. That's his position. But, but Jesus says, but let me, let me play it straight with you when you think of John. Yeah, it is the greatest of all privileges to point to Jesus Christ more clearly than those that came before. Because John was greater than every other prophet that came before him. Because of his proximity to Jesus. But he says, I want you to know something else about John's ministry. Not only is it a unique privilege, but it's filled with all kinds of opposition. Look at what he says in verses 12 and 14. Now, or, or but, fr from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied unto John. And if you care to accept it, he himself is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know what he says? John the Baptist stands at the most privileged point in history. There's all of the law and prophets and all the pictures of the Old Testament and all the prophecies of the Old Testament and all that foundation. And now the kingdom has come. And John the Baptist is at the very center point. But Jesus says, I want you to know something. If you realize how much people opposed God during the time of the law and prophets, everything gets upped and more intense with the coming of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. Do you see? You see, it is the best of times Christ has come. We can point to him. It's the worst of times. There's a lot of opposition. And Jesus says to the crowd, John's role was one of unique privilege and one of intense opposition. That's how ministry works. Great privilege, 
great difficulty. He then finishes out in verses 16 to 19. And then I want to just draw some conclusions for you and then we'll be done. In verses 16 to 19, he turns and he looks to the crowds. Because the crowds are part of the problem. The crowds wanted a Messiah in a certain way. The crowds wanted John the Baptist to be a certain way. So Jesus says, let me tell you a story. He says, to what shall I compare this generation? Um, it is like children sitting in the marketplace who call out to the other children and say, hey, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they say, well, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax gatherers and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Let me illustrate. When I was young, really young in elementary school, they called me Dougie. Well, it makes sense, right? So, Dougie. And when the group got together of other kids, and they really wanted to pressure me. I don't know about you, but I'd often hear something like this. Dougie is a chicken. Dougie. You know what I mean? You know what kids can do. You see? And they put all that pressure on me so that hopefully what I would eventually say, okay, okay, I'll do it. I'll do whatever you say. And Jesus has a parable kind of like that story. So there's a group of kids saying, hey, do this. Oh, you know that John the Baptist? He never does what we want him to do. He's, he must have a demon. Hey, Jesus, Jesus, do this. Oh, Jesus never does what we want him to do. Oh, he's a friend of tax gatherers and sinners. He's a, like a glutton and a drunken, whatever. You know, I mean, you know, they attack John, and they attack Jesus because John and Jesus don't play by their games, by their rules. And Jesus looks at the crowd and says, you know what the problem with the crowd is? You put pressure on ministers to do the wrong thing. But Jesus is not going to change, and neither did John. So here's the point. Two points, and I'll let you go. What can you expect from ministry in the 21st century? I think you can expect in the 21st century, what Jesus tells us about in the first century. And it's this. Gospel ministry is a difficult work. Oh, bummer, Doug, you stand up there and you say it's hard. Yeah, it is. Because it's filled with people who will try to manipulate. Isn't it? John the Baptist was in a world where people wanted this from him and that, and Jesus was in a world where... And, and you know, it's not easy. And if you get involved in people's lives, and I hope you are, and many, most, most of you are, so I would just say continue that. But don't you get discouraged sometimes with people? Honestly. I mean, you, you, you minister, you give your heart to people, you, and, and then they do things, you're like, what's that all about? And you think like they're manipulating, it's just like... What is that all about? And sometimes you want to kind of just go like, fine, I'm going to put this thing off. No, 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 no. Ministry is difficult. And here, you know what makes it worse? Like John the Baptist, it's not just sometimes that I work with people that are troubling and difficult. It's that I have my own agenda and Jesus doesn't always work my side of the street too. 
You know, when I had this knee operation, it's been four weeks. The doctor initially called me and he said, yeah, I just got some cartilage. We'll get it out there. I, I think within a week you'll be up walking around doing your own thing. No problem. I said, okay, right, you know, let's get it, get it done. A couple days. I planned my summer accordingly. I, I mean, figure it all out. I'll be doing this, this. Well, I get out of the operating room and see the, the thing uh, can't crutches for six weeks. Like, what's that all about? You, you told me like three or four days. Well, obviously, you know, the, he said, well, I got in there. It was worse than I thought. You know, it's always that way, isn't it? It's worse than I thought, you know. And it wasn't what I was expecting. And, 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 and you know, I said, God, I have my whole summer planned out. There's things I want to do for you. I think they're for you. I had it all kind of figured out what I was going to do. And God just came and he just switched my whole agenda. In those first three weeks, I didn't get much of anything done. You know, you sit in, I just sat on the computer and worked on stuff. But I mean, there's all whole kinds of things, stuff I wanted to get, get done at home. Boom, it's gone. It's just gone. And you know, sometimes you think like, Jesus, what are you doing? I mean, like, we're, we're together on this stuff, right? And I, like, why don't you work my side of the street more? That's really what I was saying. We, we are people who are ministering. Jesus doesn't always do what we want. People don't always respond the way we want. And we can get discouraged. And all I, all I would say, folks, is join the crowd because that's how it works. Jesus changes things and does things that don't always work our side of the street. And we may not understand it this side of heaven. But there's a reason. And we can stay with him through the whole thing. And people may not always be easy, but God died for them. And God loves them. And we are called to invest as sinners with sinners. That's how it works. Gospel ministry is a difficult work. But I want to say one other thing to you. Gospel ministry is a great privilege. Can I take you back to verse 11 for just a second? Will you look there? I purposely didn't read the end of the verse. And I want to read it to you now. The beginning of the verse says this. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was greater than every saint that came before him. And it was not because John's character was so much deeper, is it? It was because of his proximity to Jesus. Now look what the end of the verse says. Yet, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Do you know that you're greater than John the Baptist? Do you know that? The least in the kingdom. Find somebody in here, uh, that person would be least. They're, they're a Christian, they've trusted Christ, they're a forgiven follower of Christ, but they're least. Jesus says, find the person. And that person is greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because we can point to Jesus Christ more clearly even than John the Baptist. Did John the Baptist fully understand the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? No, it was fuzzy, frankly. It was fuzzy for him. It just was. But everybody in here who knows Christ as their Savior, you know the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You know he's ascended. You know he's coming back one day. And because of our proximity to Christ, 
our ability to point to him more clearly than anybody that's ever come before. John the Baptist and everyone else. We are the most privileged of all people, folks. Is gospel ministry hard? Yeah, it is. Is it the greatest of all privileges for you and I to minister his gospel to a lost and dying world and to Christians who are a pain in the neck sometime? It is the greatest of all privileges. Stay the course. It is never a waste. It is kingdom stuff and it's the most important thing you could ever do. While gospel ministry is a difficult work, it is the greatest of all privileges. Um, I was reading, again, the story of William Borden. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He actually died 100 years ago uh, in 19... I think he died in 1913, so 100 years ago. And um, he died at the age of 25. Wealthy, wealthy man. When he was at Yale University, God got a hold of his heart and he gave everything to Christ. And he decided that when he finished Yale, he was going to go to Princeton Seminary for a couple years. He was then going to go and learn the Islamic uh, uh, language and, and, and Arabic and, and, and the religion, the whole thing in Egypt. And then he was going to go to China and minister to the Muslims until he died. And people thought he was crazy and that he was nuts. You're rich, you're wealthy, you can have everything. And all the way through college and seminary, he didn't care. He put it all back because he saw ministry as the greatest of all privileges. You know what happened? Got to Egypt at the age of 25. Hadn't even learned the language yet. Contracted meningitis and he died. Many people back home thought, what a waste of a life. Was it? Or was he so overwhelmed with ministry and just serving people to the glory of God that he was willing to give his whole self to whatever God wanted? In his diary, there's three entries. You probably have heard this. When he was in college, his first entry says, no reserves. I mean, I have no reservations. I'm not holding anything back. Second entry, I think when he was at, uh, at the seminary, if I remember correctly. No retreats. And his last entry was found in his diary after he had died. And it says, no regrets. That is the Christian life. If you invest as a minister in the lives of people, whether that's evangelizing them and calling them to become forgiven followers of Christ, or, or whether it's just helping Christians take the next step in their faith walk with Him. I'm not saying it'll be easy, but at the end of the day, there will be no regrets. Father, thank you for playing it straight with us.